electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, shares of Apple have been going insane, hitting a fresh all time high today. And the chart master says things are about to get even crazier for the stock. He'll be here to explain why. Plus, the Bitcoin bears out in full force. But Fundstrats Tom Lee says they are getting it all wrong. He will take us. Bitcoin bear hunting point by point. But first, we start off with the breaking news on Starbucks. The stock sinking as executive chairman and former CEO Howard Schultz is planning to leave the company at the end of the month. Let's get straight to Andrew Ross Sorkin, who broke this story earlier. Andrew. Hey there. Uh, big news uh, here in Seattle. It is an, the end of an era for Starbucks. Uh, as you just said, Howard Schultz announcing his plan to step down, not just from uh, his role at the company as the executive chairman, but also from the board. Uh, and that decision um, fueling some speculation that he could pursue public service, that this might be one step uh, before that. Uh, I should tell you uh, that uh, Myron Ullman, uh, the former uh, chairman and CEO of JCPenney, uh, is going to be appointed the chair of Starbucks. Melody Hobson, uh, many uh, CNBC viewers know very well from Aerial Investments, uh, also another board member appointed vice chair uh, as part of this transition. Kevin Johnson, the CEO uh, of Starbucks, will remain in place. And in large part, you talked about the stock falling about 1%, but this transition has been in place for quite some time. Uh, I remember being here in Seattle when Howard Schultz stepped down as CEO, and perhaps that was the more momentous uh, decision in terms of the company's future. Uh, questions about the company's future, of course, continue. There has been huge growth in places like China. They just announced plans uh, to expand, in fact, uh, to build up to two new stores a day in China, up from one store a day, which they had been averaging uh, before, and a partnership, uh, $7 billion deal with Nestle on its packaged goods. But as we've talked about so much uh, before about Starbucks, same-store sales uh, in the United States have continued to struggle. Uh, big questions about whether they can overcome some challenges around technology, around getting in the store and out of the store quickly and what that means. And then, of course, um, the public relations hit that the company took just uh, this past month and a half uh, over uh, racial bias training and the training that they did last uh, last week. I should tell you, uh, the plan was actually set in, set in place for Howard Schultz to step down on May 15th. Uh, they had uh, talked about that for several months, I'm told, uh, starting in January. Uh, once uh, the incident in Philadelphia happened in April, that plan was put on hold and upended. And, of course, we're now hearing about it now. I want to read you real quick uh, a note from Howard Schultz to the company's employees. He writes the following. I set out to build a company that my father, a blue-collar worker and World War II veteran, never had a chance to work for. Together, we've done that and so much more by balancing profitability and social conscience, compassion, rigor, love and responsibility. Of course, I mentioned earlier, guys, uh, that there is speculation that he will run or could run for public office. This is what he said in his note uh, to employees. He says, I'm going to be thinking about a range of options for myself. 
from philanthropy to public service. The public service note is the key here. Uh, but I'm a long way from knowing what the future holds. I spoke with Howard earlier this morning uh, for a New York Times column, and he expanded on that. He said, I want to be truthful with you without creating more speculative headlines. For some time now, I've been deeply concerned about the country, the growing division at home, and our standing in the world. One of the things I want to do in my next chapter is figure out if there is a role I can play in giving back. I'm not exactly sure what that means yet. Of course, uh, that will not stop the speculation and the questions. Uh, we will have those questions, and we will have Mr. Schultz with the answers tomorrow morning on Squawk Box, uh, live at 8 a.m. Eastern Time. Uh, so you can tune in, uh, and hopefully we can hear all of this directly from Mr. Schultz himself. We look forward to that, Andrew. But in the meantime, you know, it was interesting when uh, Schultz really kind of took took on the role of public of a excuse me, not public Starbucks defender uh, when that whole the whole Philadelphia store issue came about. He was the one who was front and center. He was the one um, explaining uh, the company, apologizing for the company. It wasn't the CEO, and that sort of made you wonder uh, what kind of potential future he might have uh, more in the public spotlight? You know, I, I would take the opposite side of that in two, in two respects. One is actually um, in the immediate aftermath of the incident, uh, Kevin Johnson was the one who went out and was, uh, was, was the one you saw on television. He was the one on Good Morning America literally the day after. Um, the training program, no doubt, uh, was spearheaded by Howard Schultz. Uh, but I would suggest that Howard Schultz, in terms of the public positions um, and social issues that the company has taken on over the years uh, was, you know, what took place in the last month, I think, is just indicative of how the company has approached so many of these issues, uh, whether it be gun rights, whether it, 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 it be LGBT issues. Um, you know, they, they've approached all, they, they've been involved in this conversation in a way um, long before it was fashionable for most CEOs to, to talk about uh, social issues. And, of course, there's a big controversy, by the way, about whether CEOs should be even, even entering uh, some of these debates themselves. But uh, if there is a CEO that will get credit uh, or blame uh, for what has turned over the past two years into uh, a roar uh, from the CEO community on so many issues, it is, in fact, uh, Howard Schultz. Uh, Andrew, it's Karen. All kinds of questions. Well, one related to Starbucks stock, specifically Howard Schultz right. stock, which I think he owns, it looks like, 36 million shares. Yep. Any thought about what he would do with that? Is he going to put it in a foundation? What's so the my plan? understanding is uh, what he told me, and, and, and now reading this note that he sent out to employees, he plans to work on it. He has a family foundation, which has been in place for quite some time. He's also planning to write a book about corporate social responsibility. Um, I asked him directly, um, and, and ask the, the company about whether he plans to sell his stock. He does not plan to sell his stock. Uh, so I do not think that that is something uh, that will be an overhang on the, on the stock, at least for now. Um, he has, I believe, um, joined the Giving Pledge. I believe he did that many years ago. Um, so I imagine at some point he will be gifting or giving away that stock, and I imagine some of that uh, might flow through, through the foundation. Um, of course, if he were to run for president in the future, you know, a year or two ago, I would have told you he would have to sell all of that stock. Yeah. Um, I think perhaps the rules may have changed. So we, we, that, that, that's actually a very interesting question. Uh, but uh, where the answer was quite clear uh, a year or two ago, or I'm he not could get sure a big tax deduction, or, or he could or get he, a big tax deduction. 
Um, or roll but, you know, it. My, anyway. my opinion in this is not important. The only one we really care about is Kanye's. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, thanks so much. Andrew Ross Thank Sorkin, you. who broke this story earlier. You see the uh, reaction in Starbucks after hours down about 1.4% or so. So, um, what do you think, Guy? What's the impact here, if any? I think the 1% sell-off to me is it's just a reaction to, you know, algorithms reading this headline and selling the stock off. I think the problem, in my opinion, I think the, if the problems with Starbucks are far greater than Mr. Schultz leaving this. We talked about it. We had this conversation at the beginning, I think, of 2017 or so that he had announced it. We talked about the stock probably making an all-time high into the spring when he was going to step down, which is effectively what happened. So this should come as no surprise. My biggest hang-up with the company continues to be valuation and does a 21 multiple, is it justified with the growth they're seeing? Margins in the U.S. continue to decline. If you believe they're going to have double the amount of stores in China in the next five years, then maybe you buy the stock. I'm frightened by valuation. I get that. But put on top of it, the loss of the visionary who guided the company in the past through rough times to its heights, probably, in terms of growth in North America. When you put that on top of already the slowing growth that Guy had said in North America, do you get more concern? No. No. I mean, first, Kevin Johnson is, is a global consumer products company veteran, and I think that's why he was brought in here. Um, I'm not worried about the valuation at all. In fact, I think it at 23 times 2019, or, or actually 18, you're at a $65 stock. Um, this is the middle of the historical range on the company. Uh, I, I agree with what Andrew said over and over again. Um, Howard Schultz didn't do this to grandstand for a, you know, a run at president or anything else. This company has had a, a focus on uh, there's, there was no racial bias issue at, at Starbucks, as far as I'm concerned. And I, and I think that this is a company that's been out there for a long time. It's taken a very uh, significant leadership role. Because of that, I think it's a global company that stands on its own without Howard Schultz. Um, I also think that China is very important. I think they're going to double their store count. They're going to have, um, you know, roughly 600 stores a year through 2022. Um, I think Guy's very right to bring up U.S. margins have gone from 25 down to 22 percent. That's a concern. This Nestle deal, though, I think is accretive. I'm in the name for a long time. This news doesn't bother me at all. I, this is just about when were they going to do this? They were prepared for this for a long time. Uh, let's listen to what CEO Kevin Johnson said back in December 2016. This is shortly after taking the reins from Howard Schultz. We talked to each other multiple times throughout the day on a wide range of topics. I know one thing. Every time that door to my office opens and Howard pops his head in, there's going to be some new exciting adventure uh, ahead. No more popping his head into that door, though. Well, you know, it's interesting talking about North American margins. We know what the draw has been is obviously this push towards uh, online ordering and a lot of this stuff. It, it was costly, right? And, and they actually had some bottlenecks over the last year and a half. It seems like they cleared that up. But I also think that here's a company that is growing sales and earnings at double digits trading, you know, on a forward basis at like 20 times. It's not particularly not expensive in this market. And then when you take that number, they have like 27,500 stores. 10% of them are in China, and you guys say they're going to do two a day, so they're adding 600 a year. This is really a story about China over the next decade. They obviously bought Tivana. That was a big thing to play in China. Um, so to me, I think the North American stuff right now is noise, and I think this announcement is noise. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it seems like they've been planning for this in slow motion for a while. The step back this time, as opposed to the time 18 years, 17 years ago, I think it felt very, very different, right? There, he just... just couldn't just sit on the sidelines. Right. Right. He had to jump back when in. he left the first. Yes. So the just first to remind time. people, he left the first time as CEO. Right. To in be. In 2000. Yes. In fact, take a look. We have, we've yeah. calculated how the stock did in the five years after some high-profile CEOs stepped down, including Howard Schultz. Not bad.
not bad. Yeah. And this time it's different. We actually have a CEO who has been in place for a while. He's stepping down uh, as right. executive chairman. As Bill Gates, they had a very smooth transition as well. He talked about it well before, and Ballmer was in place. So I, I don't think that's not what's weighing on the stock. Other than 1%, 2%, that's not a big deal. I just think the that you know, the, the issue Starbucks has, if anything, they've got you know companies like McDonald's, who's a major competitor, certainly getting people in there multiple times a day on desserts and coffee. That's the big issue, is that people have followed their business model. But, but this is one of the iconic global brands, folks. I mean, these guys, if you don't think that they can't leverage that, and they're not doing that right now, um, I, I just think that this is not, this, this is not a big deal. Um, this is something this company's been running fine without them. And in fact, you're buying weakness on this stock. It's been in a range for two years, and I think it stays in one. It wouldn't be shocking to see a Trump's tweet bashing Starbucks. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. Wouldn't be shocking to me. And would that be good <laughs> or bad for the stock? I don't think it would matter. <laughs> All right, coming up. Apple on a tear after a slew of announcements out of its annual developers conference. And the chartmaster says the run has just begun. We will explain. Plus, Fundstrat's Tom Lee taking on the Bitcoin bears. He will debunk what he is calling the three biggest myths about the cryptocurrency. And later, Facebook facing the perfect storm of troubles. And outspoken shareholder Roger McNamee says the worst is not over for the social media giant yet. But he still likes the stock. So join us. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Apple hitting an all-time high today as its Worldwide Developers Conference kicks off. Josh Lipton's out in San Jose with all the details. Hey, Josh. Melissa, Apple CEO Tim Cook on stage right behind me here, reminding developers just how much they've earned now through his app store. Take a listen. This week, we're going to achieve another huge milestone. The money that developers have earned through the app store will top $100 billion. The App Store is clearly the best place for you to be rewarded for your hard work and creativity. Apple also gave a sneak peek, Melissa, of iOS 12, which will arrive this fall. Apple saying it's going to be a faster and more responsive OS, and it's going to run on a lot of devices all the way back to the 5S. There was also a bit of talk about Siri today, a new feature called Siri Shortcuts. You're going to be able to create custom commands Siri can answer. For example, let's say you're going home. That could trigger Siri to text your roommate, maybe set your thermostat, give you directions. You'll also be able to see and control how much time you spend in apps. And remember, <laughs> shareholders Jana and Calster sent that letter to Apple earlier this year asking the company to develop software to give parents more control. And a lot of focus today on AR as well. AR Kit 2 was unveiled. That's going to allow two people to play games with each other in augmented reality at the same time. Potentially a big deal for gamers there. There was also some new messaging features we should mention. You can now make an emoji of yourself called Memoji. I know we're all looking forward to the Guy Adami Memoji coming soon. And FaceTime, it got an upgrade as well. It's now going to support group video chat up to 32 people. So what didn't we see today? No hardware refreshes. There were some rumors that we might get an update to the iPad Pro, maybe a new iPhone SE. That didn't happen. Maybe that's coming in September. Melissa, back to you. All right. Thank you so much, Josh Lipton. Well, Apple surging to all-time highs today, pushing the Nasdaq to a record close as well. The stock is now nearing the key $200 level and the long-awaited trillion-dollar market cap. The stock is up 13%, adding $83 billion in value so far this year. So is the best way to make money in this market, just as simple 
as buying Apple. It seems mm -hmm. like you can't really avoid it if you want to at least perform in line. And good congrats on the me, the Meoji. My Meoji, it's going to have a Josh Lipton feel. It's going to be a bearded Meoji. The Meoji. Yeah. I can't wait. I'm working. I was working on it in the... What do you think about Apple, guys? Put the crayons guy? down, funny, answer the question. You should, funny Sorry, you should ask that, Mel. So, look, I'm not going to pretend I've been some raging bull, and I have not been. But Katie Hubert at Morgan Stanley just raised her price target to 214 from 200. You recall a couple months ago she said there was going to be some rough sledding, but you buy it on weakness. She happened to be right. And UBS just raised their price target to 210. So, for me, it seems sort of a fait accompli. That's French. Oui. They were going to get to 20345 <laughs> at current share count, which gets you to a trillion dollars. What, what is so interesting about this conference, Dan, is that it really it really puts the focus on services, yeah. right? Which is and they're the smart key to do that. So the in the last case. quarter that they just reported, they had their highest growth ever, 30 percent year over year. It made up the largest percent of the total of almost 15 percent. So this was really focused on how they take this platform to the next level. Um, listen, I don't find anything that they announced today particularly exciting. I will tell you that the most interesting thing that happened today is that the stock did not crater when Tim Cook st stepped off of the stage. It used to do that. Remember, if we didn't get those hardware... That was hardware... for a big introduction, No, right? I, I, no it, it would be WWDC, and they would often do some hardware stuff or something else. And so, to me, the fact the stock did close on its low, but it closed above yesterday's close, which I think is pretty important here. So, you know, it, it held in pretty decently. Well, the question was also, do you just play Apple and not anything else? And, and in fact, if I look at the triple Qs, of which Apple are the biggest weighting, um, the triple Qs are at fresh highs today. So it's not like Apple's the only one there. As I said, it, it, it's the big part of it. But I think you've made money throughout the sector. But back to the Apple story, these guys are focused on services. Yes, this is a company that says they're going to be 18 to 20 percent on a compounded annual growth rate in services through 2020. Um, that's very impressive. Also remember, folks, that this isn't necessarily more creative to margins than their, their handheld business. It's about in line. So, you know, I, you know, people, I think, get a little carried away in terms of how great services will be for margins when, in fact, I think they don't do anything to margins, but I think it's a great growth area. All right. Our next guest says the charts point to even more gains for Apple. Chartmaster Carter worth the Cornerstone Macros over at the Plasma to break it down. Hi, Carter. Hi there. So, uh, sure, I mean, it's, uh, it's a nice setup. Uh, we had a nice action, uh, nice price action today. Let's draw the line several different ways. So here is... Uh, basically the year-to-date chart, no judgments or annotations by me. But one thing clearly that one could say is this has the element of what is known as sort of a cup and handle, which is to say you, you approach a prior high, and then after contending with it, you start to exceed it. One way to draw the lines, but it does imply higher. I want to focus on this tight, tight action here. What's important about it is that we broke out above this sort of six, seven point range, 184 to about 190, 191. And if I pull this back a bit further, the key is that this tight range has been, has been occurring after we initially broke out, meaning we had these sort of tops here from which we broke out, and then we've held those gains, and now we're into a new range. So if you were to take the measured move, of this range, it projects about $7 higher, $7 range. And so you're looking at something on the order of 197. That doesn't get you the, the 203, 204 for the 1 trillion, but that's the inference that there's more to go. Um, here, now let's talk about this, and this is important. There's always the thought, right, with a big name like this, that it just is too, too good. It's gone too far. I mean, here we are having gone from 40 to essentially 200 over the last uh, seven, eight years. But let me do this same chart with relative performance on the bottom. And so now this is a very telling thing. That's the same chart going back to 2000, Apple on the bottom, 40 to the current price. And here is relative performance, the S&P. And if I draw a line along the relative, what we know is this, that Apple is just now breaking out 
to new relative highs, essentially the stock has made no progress to the market since 2012. So if I were to put it this way as a comparative chart, you see it right here. Basically, um, to think, and we're all subject to this way, maybe I'm late. How can one be late if the stock hasn't outperformed the market? It's just now setting up for a breakout. I like Apple here. Uh, in fact, it's presumptively better than the S&P. All right, thanks for that, Carter. We're going to leave you there at the plaza. We've got some breaking Ooh. news on Twitter. Let's get to Eric Chemi in the newsroom for the details. Eric. Melissa, the S&P 500 will now be adding Twitter to that index, replacing Monsanto effective June 7th. That's why Twitter stock is up about 5% after hours right now. So Twitter joining the S&P 500. Back to you, Melissa. All right, thank you. Thank you very much, Eric Chemi. And, of course, Twitter, along with Square, the Jack Dorsey companies, have had stellar right. runs, stellar runs over the past few weeks here, Karen. Yeah, I mean, well, that did he say June? June 7th, is that when that would be mm -hmm. joining? Mm -hmm. So I don't know how these things normally do. They sort of trade up in front of that actual index change. I don't know. That's a pretty big move, though, yeah. 5%. It's up 4% right now in the uh, after hours. Yeah, and building on fresh highs that we hit today on Twitter. And, yeah. and it's a company that's, you know, I, I think, finally giving people reason to believe how they're slowly monetizing uh, a DAU base that, on some level, is not as important as it used to be. I'm, I'm a shareholder of the stock. I, you know, I stay there. Yeah, I guess the most important thing to me is that here's a company that went public, what, five years ago or something like that, and they're supposed to maybe cross $3 billion in sales, a bit more profitably than they've done it over the last couple of years or so, and so they probably deserve to be in the S&P 500. Want to get back to the chart, Master, who's got Twitter. How does it look? I mean, new, new high in today's session, Carter. Right, and actually, this is something we covered as a group on uh, Options Action on Friday. This is a very important setup. Uh, here's the, the moment that we're dealing with, but if we were to pull this back and take a look at the one-year chart. I mean, Twitter has basically uh, been one of the best-performing sort of tech names after having had basically three years in the desert. And so this kind of momentum breaking out from a well-defined top, the presumption is plenty more to go. All right. Uh, we're going to invite Carter back over. Oh, uh, now you invite yeah, him over. Absolutely. Come Thanks. on over, Carter. We can't not invite him over. I'm sure what really happened there, but one stock's not good enough. It was the right Friday, you left him. He was out there in the right trade. Well, we had a half an hour in options action afterwards. Uh, Would you rather Twitter oh, or Apple right here? Twitter or Apple right uh, here? Well, the more aggressive is Twitter. But the, the more important one by far, meaning what it, what it says about uh, the biggest stock in the market, is Apple. But there's beta in Twitter. So if you want to be bullish, you want to play the beta. In terms of how the NASDAQ looks, Apple certainly helped the NASDAQ hit a record high in today's close. Right. We have all these cross currents. So to think this, that, that on, on Friday, right, before today's open, the, the median performance of the S&P 500 was down 37 basis points. I mean, basically, we have this unusual circumstance of high volatility, but we're not making progress. Key things like industrials and financial struggling, and yet big names in tech doing very so well. So back to those big names, though. We're talking about the QQQ back at those prior highs. we got Apple, we got Microsoft, we got Amazon, Facebook, uh, Facebook and Google just went par parabolic in the last you know, week or so. Is that concentration, again, making you a little concerned about the rest of the market? Well, so what we know is those top five names uh, are the same value as the bottom 250 in S&P, in fact, even more. And remember, growth is defensive. We have a, we have a very questionable... The so-called synchronized global growth is in question. We know there's issues with banks. We know there's issues in Europe, frankly. There's currency wars. There's trade wars. And so favoring names like this is what prudent investing is about. Of all the things, does the Apple chart look the best to you, the most likely to have some more upside? It does. Just because of that tight, tight range, that's tension, right? When you can't move and then you start to break out, that usually gives you a follow-through of, of some magnitude. 
All right, Carter, thank you. And thanks, and thanks for breaking down that uh, Twitter chart for us. Still ahead. McDonald's pushing its fast food into the future. The CEO speaking to CNBC exclusively today. And something he said has Tim Seymour pounding the table. He will explain. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC First and Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. I like it a lot. And investors seem to like Facebook a lot, despite a data breach, a fake news problem, and possible regulatory crush. And tech guru Roger McNamee says it's still best in breed. He'll explain why. Plus, I'm going to kill the bear. That's what Tom Lee is doing, killing the three biggest Bitcoin bear arguments going around the cryptoverse. And that's when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. As Bitcoin is down nearly 50% this year, the bears are out in full force. And their arguments center around three key points. Google search is dropping about 75% this year. Trading volumes also down. And the price stuck below $10,000. But Fundstrat's Tom Lee, Wall Street's biggest Bitcoin bull, says each of those points is wrong. So let's do some point-by-point uh, -point myth busting. Tom, welcome <laughs> to the show. Uh, let's start off with the Google searches. Why do you think searches being down is irrelevant? Um, well, ser Google searches aren't a leading indicator for, for Bitcoin. I think it's actually a coincident indicator, meaning as the price has fallen, I think interest has dwindled, but I don't view that as signaling Bitcoin's not going to recover by the end of the year. Okay. Trading volumes, why don't they concern you? Uh, well, trading volumes are down huge. Um, from December, they're down close to 80%. But you have to remember, December was the parabolic blow-off for Bitcoin. And compared to just the second half of last year, Bitcoin volumes are up 40%. And compared to a year ago, the same time, January to June, Bitcoin volumes are up 900%. So I, I think that volumes have actually been pretty healthy. Um, and then let's get to the uh, price. Why can't Bitcoin break through 10K? Well, it's, uh, you know, Bitcoin has a really uh, some technical issues, right? It's, it's kind of a busted chart. And I think there was some uncertainty on regulatory overhang. But you have to keep in mind, Bitcoin makes all of its performance in 10 days in any year. So I, I don't think the fact that it's at the current levels is going to prevent it from actually rising before the end of the year. Hey, Tom, how about just the idea that, that it's not just Bitcoin, that it's all, I mean, they're all trading together, aren't they? I mean, do you, do you really see Bitcoin underperforming? And therefore, is this really a, a gloss off the entire space? Um, well, I mean, the, I, I would say actually... The do you think the price action is different? I'm sorry to cut you off. Yeah. Maybe I didn't ask the question. Is the price action different for Bitcoin than it is for the other major alts? Uh, well, Bitcoin is, and the other tokens are all going to be highly correlated. But if I would say, if you want to measure real underlying demand, you know, this year ICOs have raised close to 10 billion uh, year to date. That's double the entire uh, ICO raised last year. So I mean, there's still a lot of activity, and I think institutions still have a lot of interest. But at the moment, I think it's kind of, you know, it, it we're in purgatory with regard to regulatory uh, clarity, and I think that's going to keep institutions well, the on the sidelines. Well, the SEC just named a crypto czar. Yes. I mean, in terms of the overhang, what makes you so confident that this 10-day stat is actually going to hold true this year, a year in which ICOs are being cracked down on, the SEC has appointed a, re a regulatory czar here? I mean, things seem to be coming to a fore on the regulation front. Uh, that's right. So this is an important year, and um, that's... I think if I was an institution and I was going to make an allocation into crypto, I'd probably want some clarity. So I think those are certainly keeping uh, new fiat dollars from coming into crypto. But 
crypto and blockchain and Bitcoin, I, I don't think Bitcoin has risk of being a, you know, regulated out of existence because number one it's doing fine outside the u.s and as you know china even said blockchain is central there's to a its long growth. way between 7500 and being regulated out of existence for people to lose money on well yes but bitcoin still works great today it's a great store of value it's it i think it works really well in terms of you know digital transactions and i think it's a great example of security i mean in in 10 years not a single person has entered a fraudulent entry on the blockchain you know that's trillions of dollars of on-chain transactions, none of them have proven to be fraudulent. So let me ask you, read your notes, you had a $6,000 all-in cost to mine Bitcoin? Uh, yeah, that, that comes from our data scientist, Sam Doctor. Would that create a floor? We or, found it, if you want to think of a floor as the price of Bitcoin versus the cost of mining, in from the Bitcoin bear market in December 2013 to January 2015, Bitcoin bottomed at its mining cost. So price to book went to 1.0. Today, that mining cost of 6,000 means that should act as the floor for Bitcoin's price now. Except that with each additional Bitcoin mine, the mining cost goes up. Uh, as time goes on, the mining cost Yeah, what happens higher. is, yeah, there's halving and then there's right. difficulty. So there's a couple of factors driving uh, costs. Plus, you know, if, if you get more efficient ASICs, uh, that's right. gonna reduce the mining cost. Okay, Tom, good to see you. Thank you, Thanks. Tom Lee of Fundstrat. So, so here's the thing. If you're a long-term believer in this whole thought of digital assets and you, you, you're going to buy into his store of value argument and then you're going to buy into things like censorship resistance, you're going to buy into this immutable ledger and nothing that's happened in the last seven months is going to change that thesis. Nothing at all. If anything, it may embolden you a little bit to see the sort of fluctuations that we had at the end of last year, the crash that we've had this year and the continued investment in the projects to upgrade the network but also invest... Uh, in these projects like these ICOs, which are now getting to the point of $10 billion on the year. But, but I, I could push back and say that I don't think anyone disputes uh, blockchain technology and why it makes a lot of sense for a lot of businesses and a lot of sectors to go after it. But what you're seeing is, is once the SEC and a lot of players come in and, get, and take out a lot of these, uh, these fraudulent ICOs, et cetera, I mean, what we're learning is that a lot of this was a speculative frenzy, right? Um, I, I'm a believer. But to say that a lot of these currencies were just people getting in there to trade something that was opaque yeah. and had an enormous amount of volume. Hey, I, that was my big belief last fall that it was legal gambling on your iPhone, no doubt about it. But it hasn't stopped the investment we're seeing in the VC community and the fintech community, that sort of thing. So to me, I think at 7,500 up from 1,000 in January of 2017, I think we're still doing okay on the thesis. All right, still ahead. Don't look now, but retail stocks are soaring. Names like Macy's, Dillard's, and Kohl's, all up more than 50% from recent lows. We'll tell you which ones the traders are still buying. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Facebook under fire. This after reports of another privacy scandal involving the social media giants, one billion users. Julia Borson's got the latest developments from L.A. Julia. Well, Senator John Thune, chairman of the Commerce Committee, just now saying he plans to ask Facebook for additional information about the New York Times report that user data was shared with 60 device makers, including Apple, Samsung, and BlackBerry. The New York Times article saying Facebook gave device makers data about users and their friends without explicit consent through partnerships designed to integrate the social network's features, such as messaging, like buttons, and address books. 
Facebook saying the data was simply shared to give users access to their Facebook accounts. Facebook's VP of Product Partnerships, Ime Archibong, saying, quote, contrary to claims by The New York Times, friends' information like photos was only accessible on devices when people made a decision to share their information with those friends. We are not aware of any abuse by these companies. The New York Times Attorney General Barbara Underwood saying that news of these partnerships are another reminder of unanswered questions regarding Facebook's misuse of consumer data following the Cambridge Analytica scandal. Now, this New York Times report and the question it raises about whether Facebook violated its commitment to the FTC to protect user privacy again raises the threat of regulation. And it comes amid another question and criticism from the New York Times, a report that Facebook hosted political ads masquerading as news stories in early April, stories that were aimed to influence the California congressional primary election. Facebook responding to this by saying that since then, it's rolled out a number of changes requiring issue and political ads to be labeled and advertisers to be authorized. They didn't start in enforcing those changes until late May. Melissa, back over to you. All right, Julia. Thank you, Julie Borston. Well, this is just the latest scandal to hit Facebook, but the stock has remained basically untouched. If anything, it seems like the company has weathered the perfect storm of events, despite incessant fake news accusations, a string of data privacy issues, and the possibility of even bigger crackdowns from the EU, the stock is still up 27% from its 2018 lows. Our next guest believes that while an even bigger storm is coming for social media companies, uh, that Facebook could, in fact, ride out the dark clouds. Roger McNamee is the co-founder of Elevation Partners, and he joined us now. Roger, it's always great to speak with you. It's great to be on. How are you? Uh, good, good. We At one point, we, we talked about Facebook, and you didn't like what was going on. You thought this was going to be a problem for the stock, but you still held on to shares. Where is Facebook in this whole data privacy issue? Well, so I think that their explanation today does not hold water for a couple of very simple reasons, the most important of which is that Facebook is really good at complying with the letter of regulations while ignoring the substance. And in this particular case, the reason that matters is because 60 hardware companies had access to essentially all Facebook data, and Facebook did nothing to check what they did with the data once they received it. So it is absolutely true that Facebook's terms of service would have prohibited them from doing anything with that data except to deliver Facebook. Facebook was not in a position to monitor them after the fact. And so this is a huge data privacy issue. Mm -hmm. And perhaps just as importantly for Facebook, it, it, it appears that they misled Congress when asked questions about whether there were other things like this. And so I think that this is, if you will, part of a cultural problem that's going to be with us right. until there's either more regulation or until Facebook radically alters its behavior. I hear what you're saying, Roger, in terms of, of what the company faces itself. But do you think that maybe this, the worst is behind the stock? Well, I think the stock is, is actually pretended as though nothing's happened yet. And that's a completely reasonable thing for investors to do because the risk of regulation in the United States is very low in the near term. And the regulations in Europe, the Global Data Protection Regulation, which just went into effect, is something that Facebook and Google are going to manipulate and do their best to uh, uh, prevent from you know, having any impact on their business. So I think investors have made a a, a reasonable call, but I think it would be wrong to assume that just because regulation hasn't happened yet, 
that it won't happen because the political pressure is getting greater and greater. I mean, let's face it. We're trusting Facebook and Google and Twitter with our midterm elections this year, right? We haven't regulated them. So if something goes wrong, you know, there'll be nowhere for them to hide. Hey, Roger, it's Dan. Um, you know, the Screen Time app today that was released by Apple at their WWDC was pretty interesting. The first app that they had up there on the big screen was Instagram. I mean, could this be a sort of perfect storm when you take all those other issues with regulatory that's going to be coming down the pike, the fact that we also have this other social issue about screen addiction, and, and Facebook owns, what, two or three of the most used apps. Is this going to be a big story in 2019 where all of these trends converge on companies like Facebook? Well, I think this is the question that we all face. I mean, these companies have become immensely successful through behavior modification of billions of people. And we have to ask the question, should there be any limits on the ability to manipulate what people think and what they do? If the answer is no, these stocks are going to the moon because they do it better than anybody in history. Uh, if the world decides that it's uncomfortable with behavior modification, then you know, they're gonna, there's going to be a day of reckoning. Last quick question, Roger. Um, in just the past uh, 15 or 20 minutes or so, we learned that Twitter will be added to the S&P 500 on June 7th. So we're going to stay in the social sector, but play would you rather. Would you rather right now, Facebook or Twitter? Facebook. Facebook still. And you I still think going into the S&P 500 will give them a bounce, right? But, you know, Facebook's business is just a lot better than Twitter's business. And the stock valuations do not give enough an advantage to Twitter to offset the, the better position in Facebook. All right, Roger, always a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. Take care. Roger McNamee, Elevation. Still ahead, the retail rally picking up steam as a number of names surge off their recent lows. The traders will tell you which ones they are shopping or dropping. Plus, McDonald's shares sinking 7% this year, sitting in correction territory. But Tim Seymour says the company just did something that makes the stock a major buy. He will tell us what that is right after this break. Welcome back to Fast Money. Call it the retail resurgence. The XRT retail ETF soaring 23% from its 52-week low, and a number of widely held names have been leading the charge. Check out Macy's, up nearly 50% in 2018, hitting a multi-year high today after an upgrade, double upgrade from Evercore ISI. But the rally really started to get going back in November, what we are calling the Black Friday bottom. Macy's up more than 70%, Dillard's and Kohl's up more than 50%, and Nordstrom up around 20% since then. So given all these crazy moves, we thought it was the perfect time to play a brand new game, one that we are calling Shop It or Drop It. Wow. It's like the price is right, sort of. <laughs> so just to be clear, Shop It means you buy it. Drop It means you're dropping it. Just to, you know, all right. Kick it off with Macy's. Shop it or drop it, Tim. Yeah, to be, I'm shopping it, which means I'm not going to drop it. Um, but I do think that the best days for this run in Macy's are over, um, even though I think that the improving store comps are not one and done. But the comps get very tough here. But upgrading it now in this cycle, I, I mean, I, I find that amazing. Would you drop it or shop that? Uh, I drop all of them, but you, you know, I kind of, <laughs> I got ahead of, uh, you know, I'm also doing a, a so department now everybody store. Knows. I just don't think, now we know uh, you're I just don't think all these yours. department stores need to exist. So all these different brands, and Macy's probably one of the ones that does make it, though. All right, here's another department store, Kohl's. Karen, do yes. you shop it or drop it? Sadly, drop it. I mean, we, you know, when oh. we talked about it the day they reported earnings, the stock reacted so poorly to what weren't bad earnings. However. 
That was 15% ago. Oh. So maybe the name of the game should be buy it at multi-year highs, yes or no. Or would you Change rather? I don't know. Change but so sadly, I, I wouldn't buy it up here. It's shocking for Karen, of all people, to try and change the game mid-game. I know, She's such a well-behaved young lady. All right, Dan. No Drop surprise it. now. All right, yeah. Moving you don't on. even know what yeah. it is. You don't even know what I'm going to say. Doesn't matter. Drop it. Whatever it is. Dillard's. Shop it or drop it. All right, so most of our viewers have never even heard of Dillard's before. Like, so <laughs> that's kind of the point. They're going to have $6 billion in sales. They're not growing. It's a profitable country. It trades it 15 times. The balance sheet's fine, but Dillard's doesn't need to exist. You know, those five, six billion dollars. What does that sales? mean? It doesn't need to exist. That makes no sense to me. I mean, ultimately, these, these, first of all, what we're seeing in trends in consumer is that the upper end, the discretionary purchases are actually working. So it's the lower end consumer staples that in many cases, most of that I agree, doesn't need to but exist is because it, is that can be done. consumer behavior changing a lot? So if these guys don't have a good omni channel strategy, is kind of what I'm talking about, then the physical store doesn't need to exist. The brand doesn't need to exist. I think a lot of these stores have been saying this for over a year are going to be partnered up with, with a an online strategy, they're not going to be running their own omni-channel strategies. It doesn't make any sense. And Amazon's demonstrated that why having this sort of but, scale but in, makes sense. In discretionary and in the upper uh, demographic, in they are going... upper demographic? Well, it's it's certainly a place where you're going in but there. But are you talking more brands, Are you talking more brands? Are you talking more brands? This is not a TJ Maxx. This is a different customer. It is. We're going to go to another department Brands matter store. Brands matter, I agree. Nordstrom, Guy, drop it or shop it? What, what, are they, what does it mean again? It's been Nord so... Oh, shop it, shop it, shop it. Shop it, you buy it. Uh, drop it, you don't. So okay. you'd be like, really? The valuation is a little ridiculous. <laughs> and you're right, Mel, but you go back to the quarter. I thought it was an overreaction in the quarter. The stock traded down 7% about two and a half, three weeks ago. Not unlike what we saw with Kohl's. The stock has rebounded. But you look, and you say comps were disappointing. But their online business is really starting to kick in. Right. Inventories were down almost 2%. In my opinion, with that sales growth, means margins get even better next quarter. I think the stock goes higher. So shop it. Well nice. done. All right. Well done all. All right. Yeah. One thing that might be helping the consumer and the retailers, falling oil. Crude getting crushed today, now down 7% of the past month. One trader just made a million-dollar bet on a rebound ahead. So... Dan, what'd you see? Yeah, so interesting in the USO, that's ETF to tracks oil here. Obviously, like you said, Mel, it's had a bad month, but it's had a great few months here. Um, so today when the uh, ETF was trading 1327, call volume kind of picked up. It was one and a half times that of put. There was one large trade that caught my eye. Um, there was a buyer of the October 1416 call spread 40,000 times, paying 40 cents for that. Um, that breaks even up at 1440. All right, for more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, McDonald's going high-tech. The company souping up its stores with new self-serve kiosks and mobile ordering. So does McDonald's big tech bet make the stock a buy? We've got some clues still ahead. We've undertaken a dramatic program here in the U.S. I mean, we're slightly more advanced in some of our international markets. U.K., Canada, Australia fully rolled out. France almost, and Germany is around halfway. The U.S. is a little bit behind that. So we're actually going to be um, transforming 1,000 restaurants per quarter. That was McDonald's CEO Steve Easterbrook sitting down with CNBC's Carl Quintanilla earlier today discussing the company's dive into tech. McDonald's had to upgrade thousands of stores in the U.S. with new self-serve kiosks and mobile ordering capabilities. Shares of the Golden Arch is down 7% for the year. But as the company doubles down on tech, how should investors really value this stock? Tim's over at the Plasma to break it down. Tim.
Hey, Mel, so look, bottom line with McDonald's is, do you want to live up to these other big comps if you're McDonald's at 20 times? I actually think that there's a, an argument here. Steve Easterbrook just talked about kiosks. Uh, we know what they're doing with fresh beef, the dollar menus. Um, international is booming, and, and that's ultimately what it comes down to for McDonald's. If you want to grow into that valuation that these guys have, and, I, you know, I mean, look at that. Look at that for Domino's, and that's an international play. Chipotle, even afterwards, we know it's expensive now, but bottom line is, Jack, it, a lot of this is marketing. A lot of this is a technology view. Let's just go to this chart real quick, because what I want to tell you is I think McDonald's does does grow into a fuller valuation. I think everything they're talking about, about this experience of the future, means that this stock, which basically had this re-rating period, went right up here and has been stagnating here. The next move is obviously up here if you believe the breakout comes. That comes when you get this follow-through from ordering online, the kiosk, the fresh food, dollar menu, international growth. And actually, I think if those other companies deserve it, this global brand is the one that probably gets there first. All right, so Tim, let me ask you. It's really hard to get a new multiple for a stock. I mean, they've done obviously an extraordinary job. If they continue to grow earnings, yep. you can see the stock growing. But how are you confident of getting that new multiple? Well, part of this is I think that the sector has gotten those those high growth companies, and you can argue that Domino's because of what's going on internationally and Shaq because of the growth they see at least in those core stores is what's giving them that multiple. I think if you look at those international comps from McDonald's, up almost 8% uh, in that first quarter, uh, I think they're doing it. But again, look at the demographic they're going after. They're going after millennials. They're going actually uh, after folks that have a higher ticket. If you look at the kiosk, they're two times. So their per tickets are, are going higher, and I think the stores are going to be more efficient. So I think they deserve a, a, a bigger multiple. You like McDonald's, Guy? do. I think it's the sell-off from, I think, the, the February, December is overdone. I think it deserves a higher multiple, as Tim said. Spot on. All right, up next, final trades. Time for the final trade, Tim. Remember, Twitter was ticking down like Facebook was. I think this breakout of Twitter is one you buy. If you're buying Facebook, you're buying Twitter. Karen. Yeah, do you remember when the 10-year was over three? That was like last Wednesday. <laughs> I think that I'm going to get, especially with that kind of jobs number, growing economy over three. TBT is the trade. Dan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy birthday to a very special Fast Money fan, my yes. mom. Uh, yeah. yeah. There you go. And I think you sell Facebook here at a double top. Yeah, I thought you were going to say happy birthday, Max. This is birthday uh, yesterday. Well, that's what I was going to say. I was saying we're not on TV on Sunday. So on Monday, happy belated birthday. Right. Executive producer uh, Max, Max Myers okay, Max. back in EC. Hey, you messed it up. You're the man. Sorry. That's the help 280 there, know. sister. I'm supposed to know. I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks so much for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.